Great. So, we're back on our, uh, our book of the Bible we've been looking at this week in Malachi. Let's just pray before we start. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that your ears are open to us when we are talking about you. And Lord, this morning, as we come around the word, I pray that you will just show us just how good you are again. In Jesus' name, amen. So, does everyone remember the book we're looking at? Malachi, good job. Well done, everyone. <laughs> Every now and then I mix it up when I'm starting to talk about it. I'm like, wait a minute, is that the right book? Uh, but Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, so if you're new to church, there's two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. And the New Testament is really talking about Jesus from his birth onwards and the church as it was formed and born after uh, he died on the cross. And the Old Testament is the covenant really about the covenant it's about creation and and how god worked but the covenant that god made especially with israel um, about keeping them and loving them as his special people now we know we're all called into that now we've been brought into that uh, as people who were not jewish we are now we are now able to enter into a covenant with god but it's a better covenant it's a new covenant that that is made through the blood of Jesus Christ is death and resurrection and, and we can all enter into that. And this morning I just wanted to look at Malachi 3 and we're starting at verse 16 um, and it's just about a group of people that were there in those days. So we had, uh, if you remember, there was a group of people coming to the temple, there's a whole lot, the nation of Israel coming and God had, had given them words through the prophet you know, about what was happening and, and it seemed that this people were very ambivalent, uh, mechanical, going through the motions type of worshippers as a whole. So the, the nation as a whole would come into the temple and God said, hey guys, you know, I'm telling you something that you need to hear. And they said, what do you mean? It's like their ears were, were blocked, they were deaf to what was actually going on. What do you mean, God, that we haven't offered our offerings properly? What do you mean, God, that you have loved us? What do you mean, God, that we've despised your name? God, what do you mean we've robbed you? We've never done those things. But the heart of the people seemed to not be caught up in true worship, which is what the prophet was talking about. But as we're going to look today, amongst this group of people that was just really you know, their heart really far from God, but going through the act of worship, there was a group of people which sometimes people call like a remnant. So a small group of people who seemed to understand what it was all about, what true worship was all about, what it really meant to actually worship God. And so we're going to hear about these people this morning and at the end we'll just put a little bit of, you know, what's that mean to us today, to that? Um... So let's read it from Malachi 3, verse 16, 17 and 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honour of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God 
and those who do not. So it seemed that amongst this group of people, or the, the nation of Israel, there was a group of people who were coming to worship God. Now, what's the importance to us? Sometimes we think that everything's so dark. There's no one else around. You know, we're the only people that really love God or worship God. And it seemed like that was... That, that, that it is something that we sometimes battle against, right? That there's so much darkness around. And we almost feel as if it's going to be overcoming. The darkness is somehow going to overcome the light. But let's just have a look at John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness... And the darkness can never, never extinguish it. We get here this idea that even though things are dark around, sometimes there's this light that shines and the darkness will never overcome it. This is the sense that we need to understand. Sometimes in history it hasn't seemed that way, has it? It just seemed like the darkness was coming, the darkness was winning. But we need to be so confident and assured by this word there, the darkness can never extinguish it. The light of God will always continue to shine. Elijah was a prophet of God in the, in the uh, Old Testament. They talk about him, one of the, the greatest prophets ever. And he came to this state in his own heart. He was saying, God, there's not anyone else who worships you here. In this whole nation of Israel, I am the only one left. But God said this to him, no, that's not true. There are 7,000 others who have not bowed their name to another God. That's in 1 Kings 19.18. And in successive ages, it seems like this whole vision, we have this false vision that, you know, God is dead. The church is going to die. The light of God is going to be extinguished. But I love what it says in John. <laughs> the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. It's a false vision to believe that the light of God could ever be overcome. And in the days of Malachi, it seems like that God has his elect remnant there. Amongst these people that are coming in with, with a really half-hearted worship, in fact, they were worshipping so many other things, God picks out a group of people that actually knew him. And loved him. I love it. It's this elect remnant that continued to shine the light for God. And they had this character that they actually feared him. They feared God, but there's some more important things that I want us to look at today. Two thoughts, really. One is that they thought on his name, they thought about him, and that they talked about him. I don't know if you remember back in chapter 1 and verse 6, it talks about of, of the same book that we're looking at. There were people that called him master, but never feared him. Do you remember that? So they had this, you know, the words came out, Jesus, or well, actually God, you're my master. But there was no fear of God at all inside of them. 
And when we start to think of this, the, the, the fear that we should have of God or the people that should have of God in these days as, as a servant to a master, and this implies so many things. It's this relationship of authority in our lives, it's, but it's also to, to guide us in life, to, to show us the will of the right way. And the heart of the servant is this, it's obedient. Servant is this, that it's obedience and service to the master. And what God was trying to capture here was that it wasn't an action that we did, right? It wasn't just the actions that we were carrying out, but, but inside of that, it was actually more than that. It was a character that was marked in true surrender to God. Marked in true surrender to God. And these people that God is talking about here in this, in this book that we're looking at right now, that was their character. That this group of people, this little group of people amongst the, the crowd of worshippers somehow had something different about what they were doing. They weren't looking for anything else. They weren't following their own ways of doing things, but they weren't just talking about a theory of God working in their lives. In their lives was the power of God that changed them. They weren't offering God gifts to make up for their lack of character. They were offering gifts born from the output of a good character. A reflection of what was actually being formed inside themselves because of God, because they actually feared him. And what they did was they thought about his name. And I just want to park there for a little bit. When you think about something, we can, we can say it very lightly, right? It's like, I was thinking about this. But what is the prophet trying to say here to us or to that nation at the time? They thought on his name. What does that word mean? It's actually a very intense word. It's not just, oh, they thought about him. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I thought about last week. I thought about this person. There's something very deliberate and very deep and very valuable about what they were doing. The word that it comes from has this meaning that it, that it was to esteem his name. And I just want to give two verses here that might help us to understand that a little bit more. Not related to what this means at all, but just to do with the meaning. If we could have those up, please. Isaiah thirteen seventeen, and Isaiah 53, 3. Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them who will not regard silver, and as for gold, they will not delight in it. In this case here, it was saying that the, the, the Medes were coming in, they're attacking, and, and people thought, well, maybe we can bribe them. Maybe we can get rid of them if we give them a lot of money. We'll, we'll give them a lot of money and then they'll go away. But what it meant was this, that when they saw silver, they had no value for it. They would not value it. They would not regard it. They would not, not consider it precious or valuable at all to stop them in the way that they were going. So I just wanted to connect those thoughts about, imagine the most beautiful treasure in the world, because it says they also did not do this with gold, but it didn't take them off the path of what they were doing. They are saying it had no value at all. But the group of people that were meeting in the temple had somehow set value on the name of God. Isaiah 53.3, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with, acquainted with grief. 
and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Now, this prophecy in Isaiah is about Jesus Christ when he came and, and what would happen. He was despised, rejected by men, and yet they did not esteem him. They did not have any value set upon him. In other words, the world saw no beauty in Jesus Christ, the most beautiful man that ever existed, that would come to die and take away the sin of the world. They set no value on him. That's what this word is talking about. Maybe we can look now at Philippians 4 verse 8, following this on a bit further. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What does this mean? Why am I bringing it out in the New Testament? Is this the same word? It actually is. So when, when they translated the Hebrew Bible into the Septuagint... <laughs> The same word that we just looked at, esteem, value, think about, is exactly the same meaning to this word. What's it trying to tell us? That somehow if we set the, the value on the name of the Lord, we esteem it, that we start to understand the actual true riches of what it is. So if we look at those things there, it's exactly the same. That those who thought about the Lord on that day were thinking about the Lord in this amazingly wonderful way. They were thinking about a God that was true, a God that was honourable, a God that was right and pure, a God that was lovely, a God that was admirable. Their thoughts towards God were set upon these things, the things of value. And Jesus himself said it in Matthew when we look at the Sermon of the Mount, if we just look at this one, wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. When we're talking about people that think about God, it's like they make God their treasure. That is what they're thinking about. That is the thing that I'm taking, uh, taking value in. That is the thing that I'm esteeming. That is the thing that I'm lifting high. And this remnant of people, they had their hearts towards heaven and homed in God. That, that was their dwelling place, that God was their dwelling place. And they were meditating from the heart on the goodness and character and wonderfulness of God. See, there's a whole lot of people who were thinking about the form of God, what I had to do, the things I had to, to say, the offerings I had to bring, the... the I guess the facade I need to put up in my life, that I'm going to look like a true worshipper here. But God knew better. And as they were thinking upon his name, we, we, we sort of think, well, what does the name of God mean? There's a lot of names for Jehovah in the Old Testament. I've seen up to 15. Who knows if there's more? There might be less. But names like this, Jehovah El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Sidkenu, my righteousness. Jehovah Nissi, my banner. Jehovah Shalom, my peace. 
Jehovah Rapha, the healer. And as they thought upon his name, it wasn't like they were just thinking of God, you know, the name God. They were looking at everything that was associated with that name. They weren't just looking at it, but they started to live it out. So the name that they knew, the, the one that was their peace, suddenly they became peaceful people. As they thought upon the name of God, that, that he was their healer, God the healer, they began to be healed. It was a marvellous heritage that they were thinking about his name, deeply and fondly thinking about who he was. And they weren't just thinking the name Jehovah, although that has such a great meaning in itself, but they were thinking about his qualities, who he was, his character, what was attached to that name, the name, and we might think that ourselves today. But as they thought upon these names of, of Jehovah, and his nature. A transformation was taking place in their hearts. And these things became those things lived in their life and born out in their life. I just want to talk about another thing here, two more things regarding this. What was the occupation of these people? What do I mean by that? It says that they spoke one to another. They talked about God. What does this mean? It means that there was actually no gap in their fellowship, that, that they had this attitude in life of gathering together to talk about God. They didn't just gather together to talk about the weak and, and things like that, but they began to talk about this name. They'd talk about the things that God had done, who he was, and, and what had happened in their life is they got this attitude of gathering together with their hearts together, holding the treasure and talking about the treasure that they had found in their Jehovah. And while it seemed that there was darkness all around and people gathering in this, this temple with, with wrong attitudes where they were actually you know, more interested in material things or, or more interested in their, their nationality or more interested in their culture than in God, there's this group of people that were talking about him. And one of the most amazing things about those in fellowship, they become strong. To be scattered is to be weak to not join together with others that were talking about the name of God brought a weakness to their lives. And maybe we could even think it wasn't just for prayer. It wasn't like so we could petition the Lord. It wasn't just to, to carry out actions, but they actually were fellowshipping. They were fellowshipping and talking. They were speaking to one another about the wonderful things that God had done and who he was. And what was God's attitude towards this? This I love as I look through that. Have any of you ever ridden a horse? <laughs> hmm? Or just been near one? Or maybe a dog? Whoops, excuse me. Have you ever been around them when they hear a sound and their ears sort of prick up? They listen in, they, they're like, wait a minute, what was that? Dogs are like that too, you can see it, you know, they're sitting down and all of a sudden there's a noise at the gate and their ears are like, boom, their head's up, they're listening. 
In the verses that we looked at, there's this, God listened to them, listened, God was listening. And there's two parts actually to that word. There's the first part, which is hearkened, the second part that is heard, and let's talk about those. The first one, hearkened, is like that horse, like that dog that ears pricks up. Like me, when I'm sitting in the cafe and I hear the word church, and I'm like, <laughs> there's certain words that you catch hold of. Do you know what I mean? Where you're like, what are they talking about? Now, hopefully it's not you hear something bad and your ears prick up. But that's what it was like with God. Now, we know this is a human sort of thing of who God is, but I want you to imagine it. Imagine amongst this crowd of worshippers inside the temple, God is walking among them. And all of a sudden he hears someone saying, you know what, God's my peace. God's ears suddenly turning towards that. It's almost like he would walk amongst and hear the remnant talking about him. His interest was pricked. He was like, I need to find out what that is. That's the first part. The second part is this, when it talks about him listening or hearing. I love this. What it actually means is this, that the Lord heard them. He bent over them in that awful day amongst the crowd of self-satisfied people he bent over them and listened to every syllable I just loved it when I started to really dwell on that God walking amongst hearing a group of people Amongst all this darkness, amongst all this apathy about who God was, his attention was grabbed and he bent over them and he listened to every syllable. And you know what he said about those people? That they were put into a book of remembrance. What a high high privilege for a human being to be put in that book of remembrance of God to say you know I am going to remember these people in other words he took their name and he wrote them down in a book a scroll of honor in heaven about what they were doing and and Jesus when he talked to his disciples once he set them out go out heal the sick raise the dead do all those sorts of things and he came when they came back he said to them what happened and they were like Jesus even the demons obeyed He wasn't that interested in that. But he said, look guys, I know that's pretty exciting. But you should be rejoicing because your name is written in the book of life. The names of people who amongst the darkness have witnessed God's life and God's righteousness and have remained true to him. And I just love how God says they will be mine. That there would be a day together where 
to a day when everyone who was written in that book is gathered together and brought together and God comes to set things right. The day of his, his day, the Lord's day, when he's manifested in glory and power, what an amazing day that would be. But he talked about the people that were like that being a special treasure. Just like when David got treasure from the people for the temple to build the temple to do something amazing, that is exactly the same word, that we are like that treasure to God, that, that these people, this remnant, that was there were valued as treasure because he knew what would happen as they gathered together and became the building stones that were in the kingdom, the temple of God. And he looked at the value of their character and he said this, they shall be mine. The faithful ones in faithless days were his treasure. And so here we come to our thought for us. I guess it's sort of obvious, isn't it? <laughs> but amongst the people, the crowds, the worshippers, the world today, there's a group of people, and we don't know who they are. We hope we're amongst them. That fear God that speak about him, that think on his name. And I'd say if we dared to claim that we were those people, it's probably sufficient proof that we're not. But the people that love God, that serve him, that talk about him, that, that have their thoughts set upon him, are not marked by any human boundaries. We cannot look around and say, this is that person. We can probably know in some ways. But it's not because of systems built by people. It's not by, by the boundaries that we set, even amongst different denominations, whatever it might be. We don't know who this remnant is. But we do know that in all churches all over this world, there are people that have this saintliness about them and they have a tenderness of character. And some even maybe be outside the gathering of the church, unfortunately, but no one can really mark it off. No one can really say this is that person, that is that person because the names of those people are written in God's book of honour that is kept in heaven, that we don't know what it is. We don't know whose names are on it. But they're the ones who recognise today that Jesus Christ is their Lord and their Master and they respond to that, not by, by an action of outwardness, but by actually doing the things that he approves of, that their life is not saying, God, your kingdom come and your will be done. It is saying, your kingdom has come. Your will is being done in my life. People everywhere that love him in sincerity and truth, and it is so important that they should get together. So important. We must recognise that, that these people were determined to gather together. They, they were determined to get together and mention the name of God at their gatherings, what it meant. 
And that should be a picture of us, that we should be coming together, that we should be joining in fellowship, uniting in heart, becoming that, that, that people that are strengthened through each other. That we would be that people that, that when Christ comes back in glory, he says, they're mine. Those people there, they're my special treasure. Let me gather them in. Let me gather them in. And I believe that there's nothing more interesting to God, nothing more that would grab his attention, that his ears would be turned towards than the combined heart of those people gathered together. Where God would come and dwell amongst those people. Where he would bend over those people. That he would listen to every single syllable that they utter. Because he can hear not just their words, but their heart. That these Christian souls have allowed his power to create godly character within them. That is, those that shine the light in the midst of darkness. I pray that we would be amongst that remnant as a congregation, that we would be the ones that God would call his special treasure, that we would be the ones that would go out and salt and season the earth around us. Not with things that are manufactured by human means, human means, sorry, but people who fear the Lord and speak about him. We know that he will gather the church. He will gather those people that are hearing him and thinking upon his name. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for your goodness towards us. And God, you are so many things to us. You are our peace. You are our salvation. You are indeed our treasure as well. You are our righteousness. <laughs> you are our banner. You are our protector. You are our provider. Lord, I just want to pray over us as a church that we would love you. That, Father, when you pass by, your ears would be turned towards us. But not only that, when we've grabbed your attention or your attention has been grabbed, that Lord, as you bend over and listen to what we're saying, your heart would rejoice.
Fill us with the breath of God, I pray. And as we worship now, Lord God, I pray that our hearts would be true towards you. That we wouldn't be like people that praise you with our lips, but our hearts are far from you. Lord, let our lips reflect our heart towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it may be this morning that you have never even been saved. You've never become a Christian. As Matt was talking about the cross this morning at communion, you need Jesus in your life. There is no other option. He is the only way to the Father. The only way to that peace, to know who God really is, is through Jesus Christ who died for you. I just want to give you an opportunity this morning to pray with me and ask him into your life. It's just a start. But there's no other option. Without Christ, you're lost. Without Christ, sin has hold on you. And you are not free. How do you become a Christian? It's all through his work. God sent Jesus to die for you and it says that anyone who believes in him will be saved. Anyone who believes in him. What does that mean? You understand Jesus died for your sin on the cross. He rose again so that you might have fellowship with God again and be free of sin. That's you this morning. You just pray with me and ask him in. Just pray. You just pray with me. Father God, I'm so sorry that I have not lived my life for you and I am so trapped in sin. Forgive me today, I pray in Jesus' name and set me free. From this day on, I want to live for you. I thank you that Jesus took my place and he took the punishment for me Come into my life, I pray. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> now, if you've prayed that this morning, you need to talk to your friend that you came with or a family member you know is a Christian. Share it with them to start with and say, how do I grow as a Christian? Everyone here who's a Christian that calls Christ by name will be able to teach you how to grow in faith. And they would love to do that. Perhaps you're here by yourself, you just come up the front after we sing and you can come up after we've finished or before, it doesn't matter, and chat with me and say, I just pray with you, Neil, and um, we'll talk about that together. Let's stand, let's worship God. Let's grab his attention this morning. Let's talk about the wonderful things he's done.